1: I have the privilege of introducing our guest speaker today. As you guys know, Pastor Morgan has been out on sabbatical, but he will return next week. And we've had a lot of great communicators, and today is no exception. So today we get to hear from the amazing Tina Miranda. Woo! Now, if you guys don't know, Tina is one of our deacons here, and she also was the interim pastor of children's ministry before I stepped into this role. Without her, I would not be here now, and I still would not be able to do the things that I do now without her. She is an amazing part of our M-Kids team. Now, Tina does lots of things at the church. She helps in women's ministry. She teaches foundations classes. She does a whole lot of things, and all of this is in addition to her full-time job in which she is a prosecutor for the Texas Attorney General's Office, and she's done that for almost two decades now. And she does this with her family. Uh, her husband Emmanuel and then her son Ethan and her daughter Emmy and they've all been a part of this church for almost 14 years now and so in addition she also I almost forgot teaches at St. Edward's University so she has a whole lot under her plate we love her back in MKIDS we've given her the unofficial title of Pastor Emeritus because she's never gonna leave us she can never leave MKIDS she's always gonna be Pastor Tina back there so I'm really excited if you guys can just give her a huge hand clap as I welcome Deacon Tina Miranda
0: Pastor Kevon. I, for one, am hugely thankful to Pastor Keevon. I could not have kept doing what I was doing. The grace of God only lasted so long on that, y'all. Anyway, good afternoon. Welcome to Mosaic. I'm so thrilled to be here with you. I want to thank the elders for the opportunity to get to speak with you. Uh, we are going through the book of Romans in our series, The Gospel is for Everyone. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get started. All right. Father, thank you so much. Thanks for this Sunday. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for being here with us this morning. God, thank you for your word that speaks to us. Lord, I just pray for your presence here, for you to speak through these words that I speak this morning, to communicate what it is you want us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So I mentioned that we were in the book of Romans. That is indeed where we are. We're in Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to read our text for this morning, and it's from verses 18 through 30. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Amen. So I want to start off by just... Saying that you know you got the short straw and the sermon lottery, uh, when the passage that you were assigned is sort of riddled with words like suffering, futility, decay, corruption, I don't know, bondage. There's gotta be more. And and not only that, but everyone and everything, including inanimate objects, are groaning. Amen? All right. But that's okay. We're gonna go with it. All right. And I know that Probably none of you woke up this morning and was like, hey, let's go hear a sermon on suffering. That sounds like a fantastic idea. Well, good. I'm glad you're here because you're going to get to hear one. All right. So suffering is absolutely no one's favorite topic, but it is nevertheless an important one. And I want to consider what one theologian said about the topic And he said, the fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith and has been in every generation. Its distribution and degree appear to be entirely random and therefore unfair. Sensitive spirits ask if it is possible to be reconciled with God's justice and love. So while it is no one's favorite topic, it is an important one and it's important because The reality is that every single person in here at some point in their life is going to suffer. Most of us have already experienced suffering and suffering is a reality that even seasoned crusty Christians can have difficulty navigating, right? We feel like our faith is strong or maybe you feel like your faith is strong and something happens. And it can be really difficult to get through that and suffering. The reality of it is also something that if you're new to the faith or if you're exploring faith and looking to come to faith can be almost impossible to overcome. And Paul didn't shy away from it and neither are we. And suffering is something that by way of my job, unfortunately, that I have seen a little too close. Now, Pastor Keevon mentioned that I'm a prosecutor, have been for over 16, 17 years. And every... Almost every case that I have ever done in my entire career, um, my assignment are capital murder cases. Now capital murder is by legal definition, the worst of the worst. So it's not just murder, it's murder plus. And so every day I go to work and every day, these are the cases that I work on and I see some of the most atrocious things that you can possibly even imagine. Right? I tell people, I'm like, look, TV, books, they all have limits to their imagination. But unfortunately, humanity doesn't. And you cannot imagine the atrocities that one human being will perpetrate on another. All right? And it's not just the victims that suffer, but their friends and their family that survive. They have to go through grief, frustration, anger. And it can last for years as they go through the appellate process. And listen, as unsympathetic as you may find the perpetrator of this, one of the most tragic things I think that I had observations that I've made in the 20 years or almost 20 years that I've worked at this job is that suffering is on both sides of the aisle, as we call it. Even the defendant himself suffers, not just as a result, right? Of the crime that he committed. But one of the things that I've realized is that these crimes are often not committed in a vacuum. These people who are perpetrating these unbelievably horrendous things have themselves been victims of suffering for years, right? They have been raised in poverty, In extreme abuse and neglect, generations upon generations of drug and alcohol abuse. And that is not even to say what happens to their family as a result of this. Everywhere I turn in the job that I work, I see suffering. And you know what? I'm just one person doing one job, seeing one kind of suffering. There's suffering all over this globe that makes what I see, right, seem insignificant, There are war-torn, ravaged countries, right? There are women being abducted and sold into slavery, to sexual slavery, forced into labor. There's natural disasters. There's sickness. There's disease. There's systematic oppression of people based on their skin color. Y'all, suffering. The likes of which some of us cannot even imagine. And you're like, okay. That's a pick me upper. Why are we talking about this? Well, let me tell you why we're talking about this. Cause when we get to Romans eight, right? And verse 18, what does Paul say about our present sufferings about all of this? And he says, it is not worth comparing. It's nothing. Nothing compared to our future glory. And before I go any further, I want you to know that Paul is not just talking out of his hat. Paul has suffered and he tells us how he suffered in second Corinthians. And he says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from the rivers, in danger from the bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Paul knows suffering. Paul saw it. Paul experienced it. All right. So how is it that Paul can say, as he said, I consider it nothing. He's like, forget about it. Right. Future glory. Right. What perspective does Paul have that enables him to walk a life of faith? So undaunted by the thing that will cripple most of us. All right. And that's the question we're going to look at this morning. What did he know? What did Paul know? What did he understand? All right. so we're going to look at five things. So Morgan said you didn't have to stick to three, so I'm not going to, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with five. I like five. Five's a good number. What are five things? We're going to look at what Paul knew about futility, what he knew about our future, what he knew about a deposit, what Paul knew about fellowship. And finally, what Paul knew about all the things. Are y'all ready? All right, what Paul knew about futility? So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God looked over the Earth, and he said, "It is it is good." And then, what had happened was, right? Uh, there was a tree, there was a serpent, things got a little bit dicey. Maybe we made a wrong decision. and sin. Entered the world. And we make joke of it, but it's not really funny. Right? Sin and all its consequences. And one of those consequences Paul writes about in Romans 8. In verse 20, he says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. it. So if you remember from our text, what was creation doing? Creation was groaning, right? Groaning, a thing that can't like speak is groaning. Why? Because it knew, creation knew that this is not how it was supposed to be. This is not how God designed creation to work. And Paul knew about futility. So let's look really quickly at that word. We're going to look at the Greek word for futility that I'm going to put on the screen and I'm going to tell y'all what I told the other services. I am not going to pretend a scholarship that I do not have, which means I am going to make absolutely zero attempt to try to pronounce this word. So I'm just going to put it up there. Y'all are going to look at it. You're going to form it in your mind. Think how you think it sounds. And then I'm going to talk to you about what it means. All right. And what that word means there for futility is vanity or emptiness. All right. And in fact, some translations actually use the word vanity When it speaks of what creation was subjected to. All right. And when you look at the word vanity in the Bible and you look at this word futility, it talks about something that is appearing as if it is being useful. But in reality, it's not at all. All right. It is something that is insubstantial, flimsy passing like a puff of smoke. Or a breath of, you know, on a cold day. We don't really know a whole lot about that here in Texas. Um, But you can see your breath and then it's gone. It's not there. So what Paul is communicating here is that while nature may appear to be functioning as it was designed or God intended, that's not the reality. The reality is it has been subjected to futility and it is not Working like it was meant to work. All right. One of the the theologian that we quoted earlier, I love what he says about suffering and about uh, what it is. And he calls it an alien intrusion into God's world. And that's what Paul knew about suffering. He knew that what creation had been subjected to, what we were experiencing as a result of man's fall, was not what God originally designed or intended it to be. Now, how does that help us get the perspective that Paul had? Well, because Paul knew that because the suffering was not what God designed and intended it to be, it was not eternal. Let's look over at Second Corinthians chapter 4, where it says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles... Think about that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What's he saying here? He's like the circumstances that you see in front of you. Those aren't forever. Those are temporary. Those are not eternal. Paul knew that there was an eternal glory that would far outweigh them all. Now, here's where normally you get the gospel at the end of the message, but you're going to get it right up front today. It's going to be our jumping off point, our starting point. And so what Paul knew is that God had a plan. He had an internal plan. And what was happening in the world and the sin and the suffering, that was not his plan. Right? We made a choice. Humanity messed it up. But God sent his son, Jesus, to make the choice that we didn't make to make the choice that we, for whatever reason, couldn't seem to make. So he lived the life that we should have lived. And then he died the death that we should have died. And in order to do that, and and by doing that, what he did was he gave us, right? He died for our eternal life. And this is gonna lead me up into our second one, which is what Paul knew about our future. So I have a confession to make. So remember earlier when I was like, oh, the suffering and the, you know, corruption and, you know, the passage and woe to me, I have to preach on this. Well, here's the thing. So that was just me kind of being a little dramatic. All right. Because this passage really isn't about suffering. All right. Really, if you look at what Paul emphasizes over and over and over again, you're going to see through repetition. So we're going to start in verse 19. I want you guys to look for it. It says, for creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. In verse 21, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And not only creation, verse 23, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. And then finally, if you look over at verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Do y'all see that? You see what Paul's really talking about? What he's talking about is our eternal glory. That glory that far outweighs them all. That glory that God sent his son to die in our stead to give us our adoption as sons. A glory that was not temporary. A glory that was permanent. And when we say adoption as sons, I want to talk about that really quickly. I do not have time this morning to really dig into what I think is just the most amazing and phenomenal thing. In fact, Paul just calls it incomparable. So I can't possibly do it justice here this morning. But when we say adoption as sons, I want to talk about what Paul was referring to there. You see, in the ancient Jewish culture, there wasn't really a provision for adoption. He was referring to how it was done in the Roman world. And in the Roman world, adoption had huge significance. All right. Because natural parents could actually disown their children for a variety of reasons, right? They could actually disown their natural born children. But when a parent chose to adopt a child, that relationship was irrevocable right? It could not be undone. And that child got a new identity. And whatever was in that child's past got left behind. And he was brought into a new identity, into a new family. And he was given a new purpose. And he was made an heir. And you know that inheritance that that child got, unlike it works here, where we sort of wait for death before we get the inheritance, that inheritance was almost a part of life. They became joint heirs, There was joint ownership in life and that inheritance. And that is what Paul is talking about when he says your eternal glory. Now, I want you to think about what that means for us. Now, many of us in this room, we're privileged in the the time and the era and the country and the season, wherever it is. And we won't know a lot about some of the suffering that we talked about. But let me tell you what we do struggle with, right? We do struggle to find our place we do struggle to find our purpose. Do I belong? Am I loved? Am I enough? Will I be accepted? And Jesus is saying, this is your eternal glory. This is who you are. And you're like, well, isn't that what we get when we we accept Christ? Yes, right? But what Paul is saying here is this in the the future, it's gonna be revealed fully and completely. Now to illustrate that, I want you to think about if you've ever known someone some of us have, but you know, this person that has that, that you just know they're awesome, But whatever it is, whatever talent or amazing thing that they have and, and people don't really get to see it. And then one day, whether it's a talent show or whether it's something else, but that thing and that person, is on full display and everyone was like, oh my gosh, they're so amazing. That's so fantastic. And you're like, yeah, I know it's been in them the whole time. You just didn't see it. And that's what God is saying to you. This sonship thing, this daughtership thing, it's been in you the whole time. And for eternity, it's going to be revealed in its fullness. And you know what? Then our bodies get to catch up too right? We ought to say amen to that, right? So not only in our spirit and our soul, but it will be fulfilled in our bodies. Now, some of you are like, that's great. That's fantastic, Tina. Um, But you know what? Today's today and future is future. And that really doesn't help me over there, right? I'm so glad Paul knew that. Thanks for letting me. Now I know that, right? But what I really need is something to help me out today, Right. It's kind of like, I don't know how many of you had relatives that used to give you, which mine did sometimes for me, but for Christmas or a birthday, they would give me like a savings bond. Like I'm like a six year old kid and they're like, here's like a savings bond. And I'm like, good. What can I do with it? And they're like, well, nothing right now just have to wait. And like in, you know, 450 years, you can cash it in. You know, I mean, I was six. I'm like, just give me $5. Like that's all I want. And you know what, y'all? Sometimes it, it feels like that. It's like this. I, it's lovely. Thank you for telling me about my inheritance, my future glory and all the things. But what can you do for me today? Well, all right, let's look at number three, what Paul knew about a deposit. First, we're going to look at what that word means. Deposit. It's a sum payable as a first installment on the purchase of something or as a pledge for a contract, the balance being payable later. Yes, Lord. Can I get a deposit? I think he heard us. All right. Cause look over with me at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter one, verse 22. And he says, now it is God who makes both us and you. Stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. Guaranteeing what is to come. He said it a second time in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And he said, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit. Guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. See what Paul knew was that not only do we have this eternal glory awaiting for us, but that today, right now, for those of us who are adopted into his family, God gave us something of himself. In fact, he didn't just give us something of himself. He gave us himself. And he came to dwell. He put himself inside of us. He put a spirit of sonship inside of us so that when we are going through it and we don't really know what to do or where to turn, you know what? His Holy Spirit is right there saying, you are my child. You are loved. You are blessed. You are chosen, right? You are not forsaken. You have not been forgotten. You have been picked. I picked you. You know what? And you can't unpick me, right? I've chosen you. You can't blow this because my son died to secure this for you. God put himself in us. All right. And if you look over at Romans eight twenty six through 28, he talks more about this when he says the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What's Paul saying here? Paul's saying, you know what? If you're ever at that place where you just don't know anybody been there. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I don't know where I am. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what God's doing. I can't understand this. I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to ask for. And you know what? When you get there, God's saying the spirit is right there. He's interceding. He's standing in the gap for you, right? Listen, y'all. Yes, we're going to have suffering. I feel like at this point, I I should be good. I should just sit down because what do we, we already know? We know that it's not forever. It's not temporary. We've got an eternal glory. And not only do we have an eternal glory, but we've got a deposit on it. God is saying right now, I'm going to bring this with you. And that right there should be enough to change our perspective and to see what Paul said and be like, it's nothing. But I got two more points, so I'm going to keep going. Okay. All right. So we got two more. All right. What Paul knew about fellowship fellowship is a good old fashioned Christian word fellowship, right? What do we mean by fellowship? Well, fellowship is sharing it's friendly association, especially with people. All right. Who share one's interest or it's a group of people meeting to pursue a shared interest or aim. So you want to talk about things that we know. All right. Here's what I know. I know that I know that I know that I know that people at Mosaic love to fellowship. You wanna know how I know? I've been to a lot of mosaic events, and at those events, people fellowship. And then when the event is over, you know what they do? They fellowship. And they stand around, they talk. And then at some point, the people who put on the event are like trying to clean up or whatever, and they start turning the lights on. So then when the people do, well, they'll move to the hall, and then there'll be more fellowship. And then when the the, the building starts getting locked, then they go out to their cars and they stand in the parking lot and they fellowship some more. Why? All right. We like each other. We share an interest. So what does Paul tell us about suffering and about fellowship? All right. Let's look at Romans eight verses 16 through 17. He said, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So far, so good. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Yes, Jesus provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. He says something similar over in Philippians chapter three, that I may know, and this is Paul speaking, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share, or in other versions it says fellowship his in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible. I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, what Paul knew about suffering was this. Suffering was fellowship. Suffering was sharing in what Jesus, our Savior, had done for us. If you look at the cross, that symbol of Christianity, the thing that represents our faith, what is that? What does that represent? That's suffering, y'all. The cross was suffering, and Paul knew, right, That the cross and what Jesus suffered and fellowshipping in that produced something inside of us, right? He's like, I want the glory, right? I want to share in his glory, but to share in his glory, I have got to fellowship and sharing in the suffering. All right. When you suffer, it produces, and y'all, we could spend a long time here, but it produces things like patient endurance, mature holiness, sacrificial service. Look at the book of James where it says, but because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, perseverance finishes its work so that you may be mature and complete lacking and nothing. And in Romans five, he says something similar. He says, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character and character hope. What is Paul telling us, right? The two things, suffering and glory, go together. Philippians 2 is my favorite scripture in the whole entire Bible. And it talks about how our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. But the verse doesn't stop there because it says, therefore, therefore God exalted him right to the place. And he gave him a name that is above every other name that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God. The father suffering and glory go together and they produce something in us. And this is going to bring me to my fifth and my final point. What Paul knew about all the things, all the things. All right, this is Romans 8, 28. It's a verse many of us know and are familiar with, and it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. All right, all things, say all things. All things work together for good. Good is good. We like good, right? Like good. Well, what is the good that Paul is talking about? Well, here's the part, y'all. This verse is, again, is one of my favorites. But that is because this, this verse will test your faith, right? When he says all things work together for good, what is the good that he's talking about? It's right there in the verse, right? For you to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. Here's what Paul knew Paul knew that God wastes nothing, absolutely nothing. God would take all things. Y'all, hear me out. Nothing absolutely nothing speaks God's power and perfection to me like this verse, because what this verse tells us is that God will take every single thing. There is absolutely nothing that God cannot use for his good and his glory and your good and your glory. And what that means, I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how difficult it is, but I know that I know that I know that god can use that thing you know what he can use all things he can take my sin my mistakes he can take evil things that people have done to me and use it for my good to conform me the things that the enemy intended to destroy me god will turn around and use that thing that very thing, and use it to conform me to the likeness of his son, to turn me into his daughter. And y'all, nothing, nothing speaks God's power and perfection more than that. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that suffering produced that. God wastes nothing. That thing that has no purpose, that thing that is empty, right? That is what God is going to use. And listen, my prayer for us today is that you would see this. If someone comes to you and tells you that the gospel is about accepting Jesus and praying to him and having faith, and it will make all your life better. That is not the gospel. You know why? That is not a gospel for everyone because the gospel was born out of suffering. Right. The gospel came out of suffering and the gospel that is for everyone is the gospel that is going to be able to speak to women who have lost children, going to be able to speak to people who live in countries that are torn about by war. They're going to speak to people who are in human slavery. They're going to speak to people who suffer disease. They're going to be able to speak to people who suffer divorce and it may not end here. God never promised that. But the gospel speaks to us. And he says, that was not my intention. That was never my design. That is never what I wanted. I wanted something better. And not only did I want it, I sent my son to secure that thing for you, to give you an eternal glory, to make you my children, to adopt you into my family. And oh, by the way, when things are getting a little tougher here and you can't handle it, don't worry. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. And he's going to be with you constantly, and he's going to meet you in that place, and he's going to remind you of who you are, and he's going to intercede for you. And then, and then, I'm going to use that thing. I'm going to use that awful, terrible, nasty thing, and I'm going to use it to make you into who I created you to be. Y'all, that is a gospel for everyone. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Just, God, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for your perfection. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your patience. And God, thank you for all the things that we go through that you use. Thank you that you waste absolutely nothing. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.